Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we speak to Stefan Cho Su, an assistant professor of sociology and women's and ethnic studies at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Stefan explains how Edward Said's writings on Orientalism shaped his research on the popularity of Korean American chefs in South Korea's food and beverage industry. We also discuss how Said's critiques of knowledge production raise fundamental questions about who does research and what stories are told. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Kyle. Thank you. We are here today to talk about Edward Said. Could you just give us a short introduction to who he was, or, or perhaps more importantly, what he's known for? Sure, I'll, I'll try my best. So uh, Said was an immensely influential literary scholar, cultural theorist, who helped to pioneer the field of post-colonial studies. Many refer to him as perhaps the father of post-colonial studies. Uh, he also helped to more generally jumpstart a critical wave of scholarship uh, within more established area studies fields, in particular Middle Eastern studies and Asian studies. His most recognized work is undoubtedly Orientalism, which is both a theory and a longer monograph that explored the manner in which the West, or the Occident in this case, uh, came into contact with, made sense of, and eventually dominated the Orient, or the East. Um, so Orientalism as a theory then, beyond being the academic study of the Orient by the Occident, or the study of the East by the West, could be understood as, as, as a set of culturally hegemonic discourses used, to, used by the Occident, used by the, the West, for example, to justify their domination of the Orient, specifically through the institutions of academia and colonialism. So at a very basic level, Said is trying to explain the power of prejudice, prejudicial ideas, really stereotypes, if you will, arguing that they aren't reproduced in isolation, but rather are almost always culturally and politically informed. In other words, these ideas or discourses reflect as much or even more about the societies in which they originate than the societies that they purport to explain. So for to say that differently, Orientalism as a field of study and a cultural discourse says as much about the Occident than it does about the Orient. And above all, I'd say, uh, Said is interested in explaining the historically uneven power relations shared between the East and the West, the Occident and the Orient, and how, in this case, the act of othering or creating this kind of quote-unquote other helped to enable this arrangement. So you mentioned that Said is, his background is in literary studies, and he's known as a cultural theorist, and uh, you mentioned him as one of the foundational scholars for post-colonial theory. Do you get a sense of how widely he's read in our discipline, uh, sociology? So I think it really depends on which discipline we're referring to. So as I already mentioned, Said is a staple in many humanistic fields, such as philosophy, English literature, history. And his works are also foundational in many multidisciplinary fields, such as American studies, ethnic studies, cultural studies, media studies, post-colonial studies, etc. Um, as I also mentioned, he's also widely read in several area studies fields, in particular Middle Eastern studies and Asian studies. But his reception in the social sciences, particularly sociology, seems to be more of a mixed bag. I could see some sociological theory instructors teaching Orientalism alongside 
other contemporary works like by the likes of like Foucault and Bourdieu. For instance, I or we read Orientalism in an advanced sociological theory course in grad school, but I think that's more of the exception than the norm. So I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that Said and or Orientalism as a theory is a central part of sociological canon today. When did you first become aware of Said's ideas? So you mentioned that that we read him together in grad school in our social theory course. Yeah. Uh, was that your first time encountering his work or had you read his work before? I definitely read his work before, but mostly in like snippets. So I first encountered Said's theory of Orientalism as an ethnic studies major at UC San Diego. Um, so I want to say that it happened in probably an intro to ethnic studies or intro to Asian American studies course that I took during either my freshman or my sophomore year. And this was back when like course readers were still a thing. And one of the readings in the course reader was an accept as it was an excerpt from Orientalism, probably the the introduction or something of that sort. And that was probably the first time that I engaged with um, Said as well as the theory of Orientalism in any major capacity. Were you also taking sociology courses as an undergrad, or were you uh, most of your work in ethnic studies? Interesting enough, I did not take any courses in sociology as an undergrad. So it wasn't until I entered grad school that I enrolled in my first sociology course. I was an ethnic studies and psychology double major. So my introduction to sociology or sociological theory was primarily from an ethnic studies lens as an undergrad. Could you tell us a little bit more about when you first read his actual writing and that could be the snippets that you read as an undergrad or in social theory when you got to engage with that text again? What did you what did you feel about his actual style, about the ideas within it? Did you find it accessible? So the introduction I felt was accessible. So the excerpts that we read read as a grad I mean as an as an undergrad were 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 I found accessible in large part because we also engage with them in classroom discussion. And I, I do recall the first time I read the theory or the first time we covered it in class, like it honestly, it, it blew my mind because I wanna say that this is my first real introduction to post-colonial theory or post-colonial studies at all. And to the role that this kind of a highly symbolic disembodied figure of the quote unquote other plays in reproducing things like inequality or stratification or really just, a, just a, the general status quo even. So Said was for sure directly addressing the colonial legacies of European powers in relation to the Middle East, perhaps also the continued conflict between Israel and Palestine. But I found at that time that it could be applied to countless other examples, especially as I related to the United States, the notions of US empire. So a little bit about myself, I'm, I'm Korean American, second generation, an individual of Korean descent. And at that time, I was just beginning to learn about the history of U.S. colonialism and military intervention into the Pacific Islands and Asia. And it was within that context that the concept of Orientalism just seemed to explain so much about not only the U.S.'s legacy in Asia and the Pacific Islands, but also things like the various Asian exclusion acts throughout U.S. history and even the internment of Japanese Americans in World War II. So the racializations of Asians and Asian Americans as this quote-unquote other, and mind you, Asians have been referred to historically as Orientals within the U.S. context, just seemed to make uh, so much more sense within Said's theory. And at a more personal level, like just growing up, you're taught that prejudice or prejudicial thoughts are bad, that stereotyping is bad. But you're never really taught why they're bad 
or what they signify. And in many ways, you want to conflate individual acts of prejudice or discrimination with things like racism, some other form of ism, if you will, without really knowing what either of those concepts really signify. And I recall having one of those kind of like aha light bulb moments when reading and discussing Orientalism for the first time, like this is why objectification is bad because they can represent larger discourses that support systems of domination. And I, I, until that point, I'd never really thought about it in that perspective. So what happened, and this is something I'm always kind of curious about, what happened after that aha moment? Did you immediately seek out other writings of Edward Said? Did you instead seek out people who had used his work? Uh, where, did you, where did you go from there? So immediately, I do recall purchasing the longer form book, the actual monograph, and then reading through it on my own, even before engaging with it again as a grad student later on. But I mean, as a person who has been involved in ethnic studies, American studies, cultural studies for so long, in addition to sociology, um, like Saeed's works and theories are so prominent within those fields that it's pretty difficult to like not to revisit them in some capacity. So even if I wasn't directly engaging with Saeed's work via Orientalism or his, his other perhaps lesser known works, um, so much of his work, his works are cited in these fields that it really is difficult not to re-engage with them. Um, and for instance, like even more recently over the past few decades, for example, um, Said's work has in some way become reappropriated into a new concept called techno-orientalism or the use of orientalist discourse in sci-fi and speculative fiction that works to objectify Asia and Asians as the other. Um, and that has become increasingly popular as a concept in recent decades. And in many ways, it's more accessible given that it engages with contemporary popular culture in ways that perhaps um, orientalism as a theory did not. And so there, there are a countless number of ways in which, even if perhaps I didn't want to, which isn't the case, but uh, because of Said's prominence within these fields, uh, there are a number of ways in which I have um, directly and indirectly continued to engage with his, his, with his works. You mentioned some of the aspects of his writing that led to that aha moment. Is there a very specific idea or concept of his that has that had an influence on you beyond what you were just talking about? Or would you say it's that uh, sense of the date of, of what prejudice actually does that stuck with you? Well, that was certainly a big portion of it, but there were other parts of the theory and in general side scholarship that I found to be um, compelling as well, especially as, as now like a professional scholar. As a scholar myself, I've found other portions of Said's theory and works to be continually re relevant. Um, and so, for, for example, this, there's, there's one idea that isn't particularly unique to Said, but it is one that is central to his concept of Orientalism. And I'm referring to the notion that scholarship or research, generally speaking, but especially scholarship that proposes to study the other, the quote unquote other, can never be truly objective. And the premise goes that we are all in some way or another products of our social environments and our inhabited positionalities. In other words, we are products of our social location, which together inevitably shape our worldviews and biases. And so that alone isn't really a, a terribly controversial or really even a new idea. But I think it raises the question about the reliability and validity of social scientific or even the ethics of social scientific scholarship, especially when studying a group that one is not a member of. 
Sure, there are ways that one can control for these biases in one's research design and methodology, but they're never really completely removed. And I think Saeed's work then has uh, forced me and I, I, would, I would imagine other scholars to come to terms with this reality and to then encourage myself and others to be as reflexive as possible in one's own scholarship and research. This is a little bit of a, a speculative question, but I'm wondering, considering the radical nature of that critique, whether you think that could have played a part in why Saeed is not more of a foundational scholar in sociology, because we do as a discipline have that history of studying marginalized groups that we're not part of. And, and to a degree, we have a long history of claiming to be these objective writers about truth. Yeah, that's a, certainly a possibility. So if I think about many of the other prominent theories and theorists within sociological, sociology and other social science fields, very rarely do you have this imposition or have this call to be more reflexive about one's work as a researcher. So oftentimes these theories are very totalistic. They are all-encompassing. They're like, they are universalizing in many ways, but very rarely does the, does the question then become reflected back on the researcher themselves? And I, it's possible that given sociology's role, the social sciences role in um, studying the other, I'm thinking particularly about sociology and anthropology over, um, over the history of those disciplines, uh, it's likely that as a result that has contributed to perhaps the lack of popularity of Said and Said's works, which again, they mandate this level of critical reflection that isn't really a part of so many other theories and scholarship, um, why that perhaps has contributed to his lack of popularity in the field. That seems like a perfect point to transition into what do we actually do with those ideas? We can see how they lead to these, uh, these like we were saying, radical critiques and demand a lot of reflection. But how have they specifically influenced your own work as you've gone beyond just reading other work to generating your own ideas and knowledge? Sure. So I consider myself equal parts sociologist, equal parts Asian American studies scholar, ethnic studies scholar. And uh, my research kind of straddles the lines between these two fields or disciplines. Uh, much of my research engages or examines migration flows, um, also migration communities or migrant communities rather, and migrant identities. And given that migrant groups tend to be minorities within their new host societies, much of my work inevitably engages with the process of othering as well as the concept of the other and how migrants come to terms with um, also accept or perhaps challenge this position of liminality or otherness. For instance, my current work examines the burgeoning popularity of Korean American chefs and restaurateurs in South Korea's food and beverage industry or FNB industry. And these are individuals who have decided to relocate to their ancestral homelands as adults after having lived most of not all of their formative lives in the US. Um, they are referred to in the migration studies literature as ethnic return migrants or ancestral homeland migrants. But I typically, typically just refer to them as returnees in quotes. Um, in short, because they are not actually returning to a homeland, um, an actual natal homeland. So I use the word returnees, but with quotations around them. So in any case, uh, the several of these Korean American returnees I've found have made names for themselves by opening up restaurants and bars that specialize in foreign foods and foreign products. Uh, for instance, Korean Americans have been at the forefront 
of popular popularizing Mexican food, Southern style barbecue, and American style craft beer in the city of Seoul. Um, so with these Korean American chefs and restaurateurs, I look at the ways in which they leverage their social liminality in South Korea or um, their otherness in this case uh, within their own culinary establishments and creations. In other words, I look at how these Korean American returnees utilize their status as quote unquote other in South Korean society for their own personal material and uh, professional gain. So that's really fascinating. And I'm, I'm wondering in, in doing that, do you see yourself as critiquing any of Saeed's ideas or are you expanding on them through, it seems like you're complicating the direction the arrows can go of othering and, right. who, has, and who has agency in the process. So I'm, I'm wondering, is it a critique of Saeed or are you just extending his ideas into these new case studies that he didn't explore? It's a really good question. Um, I'd say that at a very basic level, most of my work builds on Saeed's work, either directly or in spirit. So even beyond my actual scholarship, I regularly teach Orientalism in most of my classes. Uh, but if you were to go back to my scholarship, given my continued engagement with Asian American studies as a field, uh, a field in which Saeed's work is, I would say, foundational, um, I continue to cite Saeed when writing about phenomena such as Asian American racialization or things like U.S. empire. Um, that said, when it comes to perhaps my more specific case studies, I have tended not to apply Saeed's theories as a central point of my analysis in these more empirically based works, though I do remain in dialogue with them. So whether or not that dialogue is critical or perhaps or, or trying to expand his work is in some ways up for debate. But um, given that much of my research relies on examining the lives of, again, migrant populations using qualitative methods such as interviews and ethnography, I'm at, more, I'm at times more interested in discussing how these individuals negotiate and or contest their marginality or um, their otherness in this case. And this isn't to say that I, I disagree with Said's contention about the significance of orientalizing discourse, especially in their role of justifying domination, but I, I use that as more of a baseline. And instead, try to focus on people and examples that complicate the status quo and conversely help to perhaps highlight human agency. So that actually brings up one of the themes that has been particularly interesting to me as I record this podcast is how we as sociologists use theory. And one of the patterns, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it seems like you're a perfect example of this, is that you're using his ideas as an inspiration and then you're going out in the world and seeing what actually happens and, and, and gathering this empirical data. And so it's not about deconstructing paragraph three on page 100 of Saeed's and thinking about whether he formulated a concept correctly, but rather I've, he, he guides you in the questions that you ask. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, I'd agree. So I wouldn't go as far as to say that Saeed's work becomes the object of my analysis but it in many ways serves as an inspiration for the research that I do. So I mentioned previously that much of my work is engaged with Asian American studies and much of Asian American studies itself is, I would say, a response to or has grown off of Said's critiques within post-colonial studies. And so as a result, I think either directly or indirectly, much of my work engages with Said's, with Said's theories, Said's um, larger calls to action even. But rarely do I, will I be engaging specifically with passages of his text or 
um, being or being particularly critical of specific aspects of his theory. There are instances where I'll directly reference or cite certain quotes within within his texts, but those again serve more as the foundation for the or the more specific empirical work that I do with my uh, populations of interest. As you've gone forward from that those first encounters with Said to using his ideas and conducting your own research, have you found that there's other theorists that you see working protect, particularly well with, or as academics love to say, being placed in, in productive conversation with Said? Many texts that have been, I would say, foundational to my own growth and development as a scholar have drawn upon Said's work, particularly his, his work in Orientalism. Uh, the big names that come to mind are probably like Stuart Hall, uh, Sarah Ahmed, Lisa Lowe, Jasbir Puar, or Chandra Mohanty. And the amazing thing is that many of these scholars come from different fields or schools of thought. For example, Stuart Hall is a sociologist, Lisa Lowe is an Asian American studies scholar, and also a literary scholar. Jasbir Puar and Sarah Ahmed both have backgrounds in gender studies, ethnic studies, and queer studies. And Mohanty is a third world feminist scholar. But despite these differences, there are also several ways in which these scholars' works converge and engage in conversation with one another. And I'd wager that a lot of this is owed to Said and his foundational work in both post-colonial and cultural studies. And as I mentioned previously, also more recently, there have been several, and there's an entire field of study really, or subfield on techno-orientalism that has been an especially popular application of a contemporary application of Said's theory. And I'd say it's more accessible in many ways, given that it addresses or engages directly with uh, popular culture, cinema, anime, for example, and video games. And it's through those works that we see, I'd say, Said's uh, legacy continue to live on. As a way of concluding, I'm wondering if you could reflect back on your project, your own experience first encountering the work of Said, and as you said, your, your time in the classroom where you, where you teach Orientalism. And I guess I should, what I mean by that is you teach people through reading Orientalism rather than encouraging people to be Orientalist, I think. <laughs> yes. um, so what would, you, what would you say are the main advantages or selling points of engaging with the work of Edward Said? And I'm really interested in this because he is this figure that a lot of people, when they're teaching sociological theory, they choose not to use. Um, a lot of the core foundational theory textbooks still don't include Said. So what would you tell to undergraduates uh, the larger discipline of sociology, or even scholars as they're putting together their theory book, why why should they engage with Said? Why should they include Said in those in our reading lists? That's a great question. So I say that there are few theories that are so foundational to so many fields of study as is Said and Said's Orientalism. You'd be hard pressed to find an example of contemporary social or even cultural theory that is as widely cited, referenced, and or debated across the social sciences and humanities than Orientalism. I think um, perhaps Foucault may be the only real competition there. And I think this speaks to the relevance, applicability, and accessibility of his theory now more than now more than 40 years really after the, the, the term or the concept of Orientalism was coined in the late 70s. I, and I think above all, it's one of the few prominent theories, as I mentioned before, that even in its breadth, 
even it's an, even in this wide ranging ap- applicability, actually encourages both critical and self reflection. I think that second point is really important about encouraging self reflection as a scholar. I think that's incredibly important in any kind of scholarship, but especially social scientific scholarship that actively engages with populations, human populations. And without that level of critical self-reflection within one scholarship, really I'd say that one is doomed to repeat the offenses and ethical dilemmas that have been so ever-present in social scientific fields like sociology and anthropology throughout their existences. I think even beyond the importance of Said's work and theory, his, his call to critical self-reflection from a scholarly perspective um, is one of the key takeaway points that I think can be added to social, sociological theory courses. And uh, one of the reasons why I believe his work is still so important today. Well, that's a perfect place to end the conversation. So thank you again for joining us today and talking about these ideas and Edward Said. Of course, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme song, undergraduate sociologists Alicia Rios and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance. <laughs>